Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. So it starts off verse 13 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, and he says, Brothers and sisters, fam, we do not want you to be uninformed, ignorant, about those who sleep in death. That's a kind of a, a colloquialism of that time, a saying in that time just to refer to death. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You know, that most likely what's happening in this text is Paul, who is the church planner, who's the author of this letter, wrote it maybe a year uh, after he planted the church. And this letter is in response to Timothy's report. Timothy was sent by Paul back to Thessalonica, and he's reporting to Paul how that church had been doing in Thessalonica. And most likely what's happened because of Timothy's report is Timothy's reported that some of those new believers in this city, that they died. And the church is trying to figure out, okay, now we're Christians, we believe in Jesus, but, but how do we relate to death now? How does my faith inform my relationship with losing somebody that I love? And that's what we're going to talk about. And I, I want us to consider that today. It's just, is really what's our relationship with death? You know, many of us are young. You're like, I, I don't really think about it a lot. I got time. You know what I'm saying? You're like, I got time. Some of it, I'm like, I'm in my mid-30s, and um, my body is just now, start, like, I'm starting to realize the things I think I can do, I can't quite do. So sometimes I'll be tweaking myself. I'm like, what's happening? You know? Some of you are older, and and death is something you think about regularly because you just feel like time's flying by. You got less of it than you thought you did. Um, some of us have, we lose loved ones, and that makes us think about death. We have a close encounter, like Pastor Will, who got bit by a shark. It'll make you think about death, you know what I'm saying? Seriously, he got bit in the head. One of the interesting things about being a pastor, thinking about death, is... Um, Sometimes when death comes, you get a call, and then you have a responsibility in death. I remember the first year our church started getting a call, and this was the first funeral I really did, and it was from a member of the church I had been at, and the mom called me because her son, who had been in the youth group that I had led, died at 18 in a car crash. And I was 30. I'm like, what do I say? How do you comfort somebody who's experiencing a tragic, unexpected loss? And I, I think for some of us, that's how we feel, right? Like somebody who's lost someone, we go, what do we say? And you know, like, I think we can have different relationships with it. And here's like three categories I hope we can think in this morning. One is just this. What is your relationship with death? Like, how does the fact that you know you're going to die change the way you live? 
Ecclesiastes 9 says it this way, that we all have a common destiny, whether righteous or wicked, good, bad, clean, unclean, we all share a destiny, and that is death. Like we all gonna die. And the Bible wants to call that to our mind. So thinking about the fact that death is a reality, how does that change you live now? Our text is gonna talk about that some. Second category, how do you deal with grief? or loss when you lose somebody you love that's close to you. One person after the last service, I was encouraged by because he was like, you know, I wasn't thinking so much of death, the loss of like somebody physically dying, but I was thinking about grief as it relates to the loss of things I had hoped for. I thought that was a good connection, but how do we, how do we deal with grief when we, lose people we love or things we love or the idea of even things we love. And the third category is this, is how do we comfort someone who's lost somebody they love? One of the prayers we're praying for, our prayer team's praying for, is just that we'd be a church family that sees people in the midst of grief and mourning. That's one of the prayers. So those three categories in your mind as we're looking at this text. Again, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve. Everybody say grieve. So that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. What he says is this, is is now young church, you need to know this. There is a difference, a distinct difference between the way in which Christians relate to death and the rest of humanity relates to death. That everybody else And all of humanity relates to death in one way and Christians a different way. But here's what I want to say first, kind of from the jump, is this. The difference is not that Christians don't grieve. That's not what the text says, and it's not true. The difference is not that Christians don't cry. It's not that we don't feel deeply or have strong emotion around losing somebody we love. And I just, I just want to like speak to those of you who have lost loved ones for a second and just want you to know if, if people are trying to tell you that if you lose somebody, like you should be stoic without emotion, that's paganism, not Christian. Like, like we read the Psalms. The Psalms are busting off the page with emotions, dealing with hard situations and loss. That is not the call towards a Christian to not grieve. Here's the proof. is Jesus, when he lost Lazarus, Lazarus died, what he do? He cried. He wept is what the text says. Our Savior, listen, listen this is what's crazy, knowing with like full knowledge that he was about to, with Lazarus who died. He was about to speak into the tomb. And Lazarus' cells, his body that was dead, was going to recognize Jesus' voice because that was the same voice that spoke at creation and said, let there be light, and then there was light. And so his body recognized Jesus' voice and got up again. Like, Jesus, who knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, weeps. This gives us great comfort that we can cry too. We can mourn too. We can grieve too. And it it, it debunks what can happen in Christian spaces when Christians just try to like kind of surround you and be like, hey, let's put a Band-Aid on it. You good? You know what I'm saying? Like this is when sometimes Bible verses can be used so bad. Amen? God works for the good of those who love him. You're like, really? Now. 
It's not that we don't grieve or even necessarily how much we grieve. It is the way in which we grieve that Paul is saying is distinct about Christians. And he says Christians grieve with hope. The rest of humanity without hope. This is great news for those of us in Christ. There is a hope that coincides with us, complements us, is with us when we grieve. And then he kind of defines what it looks like to grieve with hope in verse 14. Where he says, if you got your Bible, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. 14, for we believe, most commentators think that this is actually an early confession or creed of the church. And the reason is its formulation. Because Paul doesn't say, hey, I believe that Jesus died and rose again. He doesn't say, you should believe that Jesus died and rose again. He says, for we. He says, you, like the church at Thessalonica, you believe, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And because we believe in the work of Christ, what's it say? So we believe that we, or that the Lord, will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in Christ. Because we believe in what Jesus did, we know we are gonna do what Jesus did. This is, this is really his point. His point is this. He's like, to grieve with hope is this. Is when you want to grieve with hope, you need to know two things. You need to understand the work of Christ and our union with Christ. To grieve with hope, two things, the work of Christ and our union with Christ. Because when we understand that, we understand that what Jesus did, we will do. That because he beat death, we will too. We gotta know these two things. Work of Christ, what he did, union with Christ, how we're united with him. But before we do that, here's what I wanna do because I think this is important. That's Again, most likely a confession of the early church. Meaning when they got together, they would say, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. One of the reasons you gotta like confessions and even singing is because it forces us to say words that sometimes we struggle to believe. I don't know about you, but sometimes Christ is enough for me. Sometimes we're saying that, but do we feel it? We're like, if you looked at last week, I didn't live it, but we say it because saying it is like, Lord, let this be so. So I thought we'd just say the confession a few times together if y'all are down. I want us just to say, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. A couple of times. I'll count the three the first time, all right? One, two, three. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Say it again. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. One more time. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Isn't that beautiful, like the chorus of us confessing that there's a God who beat death, that our greatest foe was looked at by the savior of the universe and he just kicked a hole right through it and said, I'm victorious. And so now we will be victorious with him. 
Doesn't that give us great hope with the sin we can't get out of? Doesn't that give us great hope with the weakness and limitation we feel? Doesn't that, that's intended to give us great hope with the loss and grief we are presently experiencing. For we believe that he died, but he rose again. The work of Christ and the union with Christ. The hope for us in grief. First, the union with Christ. Union with Christ. If you, see, if you look in the text, it says, <clears throat> for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And then later in verse 16, it says, and the dead in Christ will rise. Because we are united with him, we can be confident again, we're going to do what he does. But it's our union with Christ it's drawing our attention to. And at the end it says, and we will be with the Lord forever. It's just emphasizing over and over again, we belong to him. We're united with him. Our union with Christ is such a beautiful concept. I just want to read you a little bit about our union with Christ from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3 onward. And I just want you to hear what it means that we are united with Christ, all these great benefits that are available to us now. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, says this. I want you to hear about our union. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to adoption, to sonship, according with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, which he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Isn't that great? Every spiritual blessing ours because we are united to Christ. We belong to him. We are with him. Here's like, let me, let me make it plain to grief. Here's what's beautiful as, as you think about grief, family, is that we never need wonder if Jesus is with us, even in the lowest of lows. The biggest proof of this is the cross, right? Because what, is it, what does it mean in the incarnation? You think about it. Jesus came. He, he, didn't, he didn't stay up in heaven and just look down at us and go, look at these people suffering. Look at these people struggling. Look at these people losing loved ones. Instead, he got dirty. He got messy. He condescended to our level. He wrapped himself in flesh. He was tempted. He was tried. He experienced hunger and weakness. And then he went to the cross and his work on the cross, what did he do? He paid for our sin. So here's what this means in our loss. We know without a doubt, the cross is proof of it, that Jesus cares and he's with us and he understands. He died. He understands our suffering. He did not stay removed because he wanted you to know that he's there with you. That he cares. Like the cross is proof of it. <clears throat> Thinking about caring for other people 
in union with Christ, I sent out some messages and <coughs> I just, um, to some people who've lost loved ones and asked them, if you were gonna encourage the church, what would you say? And, and one, one man gave me these five things of how to care for somebody experiencing grief. And if, if you wanna help people, maybe you should write them down. But he said five things, he said this. He said the ministry, five things to how to help someone with grief. First, he said the ministry of presence. And he said being physically with somebody in their grief. And he, and he recounted a story about somebody who showed up when he had lost somebody he loves and was crying. And he was like, their tears meant everything to me. The second thing, consistency in the long term. And he said, people forget your grief way before you do. So setting reminders on your phone just to be there for them. Being slow to speak and quick to listen. He said, it's annoying when people try to give me bad advice. Like, yeah. When they haven't been through something similar and they're just kind of saying stuff. Four, he said, prayer. He said, in person, like over me, but also outside the moment, knowing you're with me. And then five, he just said, don't try to fix it. Point me to God. Here's what I love about all five of those things. He's a ministry of presence, consistency in the long term, slow to speak, prayer, and don't try to fix it. Here's what I love is that all of those are just saying, be united with me. You hear it? Like, just be with me. I don't need you to really do anything else other than just be with me. And that's what we do. We need community to be with us. But praise God, we're never alone because Christ is always with us, even when community fails. Even when they're not they're not saying the thing we wish they would say or supporting us in the way we wish they would. Jesus is with us. And so here's a challenge for those of you who are experiencing grief. Let your union with Christ give you hope. Run to God, not away from him. The, the thoughts that get into our mind that try to convince us that God can't handle our anger and we should go in the other direction, those are pagan thoughts. Like Christian thoughts say, run to him with your anger. Run to him with your frustration. Run to him with your confusion. Like, the, like this is the Psalms. Like I don't know about you, have you ever read the Psalms, read a Psalm and been like, how is that? Like is it okay to say that? You ever felt like that? You're like, can, they, they, can you? I feel like that's inappropriate. That doesn't fit my theological framework. I feel like that sometimes. And then you're like, but it's holy scripture. It's not just appropriate. It's not just like, okay. It's like how God is providing a pathway or a model for us to express our emotion. Go to him. Go to him. And for those of us around people who've lost loved ones, let us also run to them and be united with them. Like we might not know what to say, and that might be helpful so then we won't say anything. You know what I mean? Run to them and be there. Job's friends were doing a great job till they opened their mouth. You read the account. So the first, our union with Christ. Secondly, though, the work of Christ in our text. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. The belief in the work of Christ gives them confidence that what he did will do. The resurrection 
is presented in this text as the thing that guarantees our hope and grief. It's the thing that guarantees our future. It is the resurrection, the work of Christ. It's that he's died for us. He lived a life. He the resurrect, like it's, it's that the resurrection is historical, it, it's spiritual, it's metaphysical, it is all the isicals, right? Like it's, it's with us and it's real. And recognizing that it really happened is everything. Thinking it kind of could have happened or the words might have mattered, like it's not going to work. A text that's really helpful towards this end is 1 Corinthians 15. I want to read some of that for us this morning. It's about the importance of the resurrection, importance of the work of Christ. Hear this. In verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. He's like, if the resurrection didn't happen, we still in our sins. Like, all of this is for naught. None of this makes, like, all, like all this. Then he says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, it's the same language as our text, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, hear this, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is how important it is to think about the resurrection. He's like, we're to be pitied if it's not on our mind and it didn't really happen. And then he says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, our union with Christ. But he's like, the resurrection is everything, is Paul's point. He's like, life is futile unless we think about the resurrection, unless we realize it. Because when we understand the work of Christ, we start to go, okay, what he did, and because I'm united with him, that has everything to do with me. One of the, one of the biggest, I think, like problems with the American church is, is we don't understand how the work of Christ and the, the sayings of Christ and the life of Christ and the spirit of the living God, like we don't understand how they're really connected to us. It feels like we're just reading kind of abstract things and maybe supposed to find a verse and be encouraged by that verse. Like, yeah. We don't understand how this whole book has, is real and it has everything to do with everything. Like, it, it teaches us about ethics. It teaches us uh, about parenting. It teaches us about how to live in singleness. It teaches us about what Christ has done for us. Like, we don't, we haven't connected all of what Christ has done and said to our real life. Like, we don't live daily like the work of Christ is relevant to us. So no wonder when we think about our greatest foe, death, we struggle to understand how the resurrection of Jesus is connected to us. What I'm saying is when our, when our day-to-day life isn't reflective of, like, understanding what Jesus has done and, and why it matters and how good it is, then, then we're going to look at our final foe and be in the hardest times of our life, and we're going to be like, the words of Jesus and his work isn't going to comfort us the same way. Because we're, we're training ourselves 
that what Jesus did is not really relevant to what I am doing. When what Jesus did has everything to do with what I'm doing. Like the, you know, one of the questions that gets asked um, just a lot as an icebreaker is what would you do with the million dollars? You know, you're like, okay, well, how would, that would change my life. It would, me. The better question for the Christian, though, is what would we do if we knew Jesus was going to come back in a year? Like, what are we going to do if we understand the resurrection and how it's connected to the second coming? Like, how would our life be different? Knowing you're going to die, because you will, doesn't matter how Christian or non-Christian you are, death will come. How does that affect the way you live? And he says the resurrection affects everything. In the text we're in, again, what Jesus did will do, and, and that hope is based on our, the work of Christ and the union of Christ. But it, it kind of transitions to not only what Jesus did will do, but what he's gonna do has everything to do with you. So it's what he did, very applicable to your life right now. But what he's gonna do, very applicable to our life right now. And, and I think often, too, if there's one we'd think about less, it's the second coming. Like how the impending coming of Jesus has everything to do with us. And so he goes on to tell us how it's relevant, verse 15. According to the Lord's word, we tell you, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Most likely, contextually, what's happening is, um, again, they're, they're believers who've died, and there was concerns that uh, if the Lord comes back in, in those who are alive's lifetime, will those who died kind of uh, uh, not get the same level of experience as those who are still alive? Like, is God gonna show a type of favoritism? And so Paul squashes that and says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So he's like, no, the dead are gonna come first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. This is an important passage about the second coming, but here's my hope, is that we don't get lost in the sauce, right? You can read something like that and be like, okay, so those movies and books I read about being left behind, they're real, huh? That's what's gonna happen. More of y'all should laugh. That's not good theology, left behind series. Uh, it's it's uh, coming out of like a, a kind of a dispositional premillennialism and, it, and a text like this, they're like, okay, believers are going to the clouds, you know, and so we're like, okay, I'm not going to be left here with Nicolas Cage because no one wants to be left here with Nicolas Cage. So we're nervous about this. <clears throat> Some of y'all grew up, grew up on these movies. I didn't, so I, I hadn't even watched them, so I'm hesitant to fully come at them or anything. Um, but, but what's important to note is Paul's concern here is way more pastoral than it is just kind of like abstract and ethereal and to answer all of our eschatological end times questions. I think there's some th- good questions that can be asked that are important. But again, if, and we got a text next week too, you're gonna see it. 
But what, it, what Paul really presents is a type of second coming of Jesus Christ, and we're going to talk about it, where, he, where he's going to physically come again, the, the final judgment and our resurrection, and they're all organically attached to each other. So the second coming of Jesus, the final judgment day, which all of us, whether Christian or non-Christian, all of us are going to deal with, and then the resurrection are all like organically attached to each other. And, and again, th- this church has kind of this concern because they're like, those who died, what's going to happen to them? And, and, and are they going to be in some type of, because some people teach some type of perpetual sleep until the resurrection of their bodies? Kind of like cyber sleep. Any of y'all watch sci-fi? They're like going out to a far place. And they're like, you can't stay awake this long. So we're going to put you in cyber sleep. And then, like people think, Christians think there's going to be a cyber sleep. I mean, that's not what they call it. But there's going to be a spiritual sleep that happens. And then the resurrection comes. And then you're going to be with God. That's not true. That's not true. Like, like in our text today, the dead in Christ will come with him. They've been with him. Here's what we know. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, it is, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. How could die be gain unless he's about to go be with God? All right? Like Jesus says in Matthew 22, his, his, his point here is he goes, God, Yahweh, is the Lord or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And at Jesus' point is he's the God of the living, not the dead. Like, we're going to be with God when we die. And, and this gives us such great hope, I think, when we lose somebody. And as we think about death, and we can know they might not have felt it, and I might not even feel it, but I know what's true is that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the reason it's gain is because they will more clearly see and experience and enjoy Jesus. That's why. But, you know, because there is, I mean, this text talking about it, like your, your soul goes to be with God as we await our final resurrection of our bodies. Some people start asking questions about burial. They're like, well, if our bodies are going to be raised when Jesus comes back, our souls are with God temporarily, this intermediate state, well, what, what about burial or cremation? Is cremation okay? I say, well, your body's buried long enough, everybody cremated. So there we go. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that solves that. God's got it, you know? And there's these questions we can ask that I do think are legitimate about, okay, well, even what's the relationship between people when we get to heaven and prior to the resurrection and after the resurrection? They're things that matter. But here's what the text is trying to cement in us is that Jesus is going to come back. And look at how he's going to come back. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and then the dead will rise. He's like the Lord himself is going to come back one day. And his voice is going to be like that of an archangel. An archangel would have been a ruling angel or a chief messenger angel. But the idea is there's going to be a powerful voice and a trumpet. There's going to be a trumpet. 
And a trumpet at that time is not chiefly musical. It has to do with the military. So it's like a war trumpet. And then the Lord's going to speak. A command's going to come from Jesus' voice. All this is going to happen. This is, again, we're not going to be like, oh, where is he? No, we're going to know. The Lord's going to speak. And then what's going to happen? What's it say? The dead will rise. Because when he speaks, what it says in Psalm 33, is it comes to be. When he commands, it stands firm. Jesus' voice is going to speak, and then the dead, the bodily, we'll have a bodily resurrection, and the dead are going to come up. We're going to be united with God forever. And we're going to have real bodies, physical bodies that are going to be beautiful. And who really knows what they're going to look like? Jesus is somewhat of a model maybe, but it's going to be incredible. And it's going to be physical and spiritual, and we're going to get to be united with God. And there's going to be a judgment day that happens, but we have security in Jesus because of what he's done for us. And that is what our new heavens and new earth will look like. And the point is this. Think about these things. He says the dead will rise first, and then it says, and so we will be with the Lord forever. You need to hear it said like, like heaven isn't just like for the people who are trying to get out of hell. It's for the people who want to be with Jesus. You will be with the Lord forever. And when we're in Christ, no matter how young or how old we are, there's something in us that is intended to rightfully long for that. Desire that. To be informed, as it started off the text, informed by that. And that's why he says in verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Grace City Church, we need to talk about the second coming of Jesus way more than we do. We need to talk about it in group. Encourage one another with it. We have words, listen, we have words that the rest of humanity does not have. And they're not to be just like casting band-aids on it. They're supposed to be words used with precision and compassion and grace like Jesus in the incarnation. But words that we give that can provide a type of hope that you cannot have apart from Christ. And we're supposed to encourage one another with those words. That's why when we grieve, like, this book, like we have to train ourselves that this book is where we get encouragement from. If we've been training ourselves that it just kind of speaks about random stuff, of course it ain't going to encourage us when we need it. You know what I mean? Like we have to be training ourselves that this is life. Like let me put my, my soul on this, this because this is how the Spirit speaks to me. Like let me, let me learn to find encouragement from it and, and believe that it's, that it's true. Another thing, though, verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words that I believe God has for all of us in this is to be a space that is incredibly present, like a church that's incredibly present and encouraging and seeing of those who are grieving. Again, where we might not know what to say, but we run to him. 
And this is, this is true of grief. This is true of every kind of grief. And this is true of uniqueness and hardship and situations, you know? It's just like we need to be a people because of who we know that when things get hard, we don't go, I don't know what to do. I put my hands up and walk back. Instead, be a people who go, you know, I might not know what to do, but the Holy Spirit inside of me does. So I'm going to step in and just sit there and be with. And here's what's crazy about that because of our union with Christ. Because if you're in Christ, you're united with him, everywhere you go, he goes. So when you go to the place that's dark and hard with somebody, the Holy Spirit is there. And so even when you don't know what to say, God, you, are, you are bringing God with you into that space. That's why we have to be there when people are suffering. Even we don't feel as equipped as we would like to feel. Benny, come on up. What is your relationship like with death? Knowing that death is coming for all of us, what does that make you do or feel? How might you live different? Knowing death is gonna come. And here's the truth, for some of us, we're like, man, we got time. Until you get that call, like I got it, I told you, and it's like, no, an 18-year-old just died in a car crash. We do not know how much time we have. We don't know we got tomorrow. So maybe it's just a call for us to not be presumptuous people who think we got all the time in the world and start to realize Jesus is coming back or I'm gonna die. Not gonna be thinking about these things. This is life's most important question. Let me pray for us. Father, man, it is, we stand here and be a people, or sit here and be a people who just acknowledge that you have indeed sent your son on our behalf and then defeated death, and that we could hear a chorus of people who say, we believe that Jesus died that there was a man named Jesus who was God who, who died and rose again. And we pray that your work, Jesus, would encourage us so deeply and we would understand how our union with Christ changes us so significantly. We need your help to be the people you want us to be. And so we just pray you'd help us we pray that as we sing and meditate and reflect, that you would, just, you would just encourage us. And maybe even for those of us who are grieving, that the songs we sing and the prayers we pray, that they could be a special moment where they recognize you see them and they belong to you. In your name we pray. 
Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website at www.thegracecity.com to explore all of the ways that you can give, connect, and engage. Thank you again for being with us. Now go live as image bearers of the King.